Was it 36 hours getting married? Get married to you, Blake Shelton. Um, we made it through un the unthinkable. We have made it through everything we could possibly make it through. And I know we have a lot more trials and tribulations to go, but I'm ready to join in with you on that journey. I've been a walking heartache, I've made a mess of me The person that I've been lately ain't who I want to be But you stay here right beside me and watch as the storm blows through And I need you Cause God
this is, in fact, a fairy tale for these three days. I'm so glad to share it with you. Broadcasting from Dingo Flat, Onga Onga, the wireless, today's best country. They came from near, they came from far, following a distant star. To where he lay Not being sure Of what it meant But knowing it Was heaven sent They made their way And the creatures Gathered round And didn't make a sound And the angels cried Before I got laid off, I won't 
amazing touchdown throws. And good old Johnny keeps the life of every party. It's like cheers, they know him everywhere he goes. I've got some famous friends you probably never heard of. But back in Rutherford County, our crowd is second to none. You might not know them here in this big city we're in. But when I go back home, I've got some famous friends. Yeah, I do. He'll flash his lights, but let me go. My boy Randy, he's a preacher. My girl Megan, she's been teacher of the year. I swear for five years in a row. I've got some famous friends you probably never heard of. Back in Hamilton County, our crowd is second to none. You might not know them here in this big city where. Couldn't run her down 
probably didn't like me anyhow So I watched her disappear into a cloud of dust I told her way up yonder past the caution light There's a little country store with an old coke sign You gotta stop and ask Miss Belle for some of her sweet tea back here to me Yes, it's Georgia heat playing tricks on me Or am I really seeing what I think I see The woman of my dreams coming back to me
You're listening to The Wireless.
hadn't felt the fire, had a little fun, hadn't had a smile in a little while, baby. Looks good on the sky. Looks good on that neon buzzing on the wall, but darling, it don't match your eyes. I'm telling you. Trying to I'll be another just pick you up kind of guy Trying to drink you up, trying to take you home But I just, I don't understand How another man can take your son And turn it ice cold Well, I've had enough to drink And it's making me think that I just might Tell you if I were a painter, I wouldn't change it. I'd just paint you bright, baby. Cause blue looks good on the sky. It looks good on that neon buzzing on the wall, but darling, it don't match your eyes. I'm telling As long as I'm a ghost 
Breakfast with Grant Edwards. Would you call yourself a socialist? Uh, no. You've never told a lie in politics? No, no. See, somebody sent me a video actually last Friday and it had you talking at the socialist oh, right. Yes, yes. And, and you mentioned the word comrade uh, about four times in a minute. What was that about? It was a rally and I would have been about 25 years old. Comrade, 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 comrade. That was in 2009. Oh, well, I can't remember which country it was in. Has changed since those days? No, not particularly. No. If you are caught in a lie or caught intentionally 
misleading the New Zealand public. How would you expect to be held to account? Well, I actually believe that it is possible to exist in politics without lying. We drum in that messaging around the dangers of COVID pretty diligently for a full two-week period of sustained propaganda. Sustained propaganda. It's clearly unjust what the IDF has been doing to the Palestinians because there's a vast disparity between the number of Palestinians being killed and the number of Israelis. I mean, I would certainly hope that Israel is killing more Hamas. This isn't a conflict. This isn't a conflict. This is one-sided ethnic cleansing. Again, I'm just asking you, if based on the numbers, more Germans died than Brits in World War II, did that mean that the British were wrong in World War II? Because they did. Many more Germans died than Brits. Based on the numbers, does that mean that Britain was wrong in World War II? Britain wasn't bombing civilian... Civilians... There's a clear yeah, you, should, you, should talk to, you should talk to the people in Dresden, but there's you can't because they're dead. Cl- With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTradio.live. TNTradio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Early Wednesday, Kyiv, the capital of Ukraine, was hit by another ballistic missile attack, resulting in injuries to at least 53 people, including six children, and causing damage to several buildings. The city experienced a series of loud explosions around 3 a.m. local time, marking the activation of its air defenses for the second time in the same week. According to Ukraine's Air Force, Russia fired 10 ballistic missiles toward Kyiv, all of which were intercepted by the air defense systems. This latest assault on Kyiv highlights the ongoing threat posed by Russia's missile capabilities in the war, which has now lasted for 21 months. Recent intelligence from the UK Ministry of Defense indicates that Russia has been amassing air-launched cruise missiles from its heavy bomber fleet. This buildup suggests a potential intensification of attacks on Ukraine's power infrastructure during the winter months. In the past year, Moscow has targeted Ukraine's energy facilities, aiming to deprive citizens of heat, light, and water and to weaken their resolve. Australia has seen the rise of a new political group, the Gen Z Party, which voices the frustrations of Generation Z, particularly towards the baby boomer generation. The party accuses the older generation of compromising the future of the younger population and criticizes the current government, which they refer to as fossils, for its lack of action. The Gen Z Party contends that Australia is on a path towards a climate disaster, largely due to the failure of both major political parties, the center-left Labour and the center-right Liberal Party, to adequately address environmental issues. Their critique extends to the perceived inaction on climate change and the broader impact on the planet. In a launch video shared on social media, the party expresses the discontent of Gen Z, highlighting their financial struggles and disillusionment with the political status quo. The video, which features images of former Coalition Prime Minister Scott Morrison and current Labor Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, emphasizes the contrast between the experiences of the baby boomer generation, who benefited from free university education and affordable housing, and the challenges facing younger generations today, including environmental degradation. A recent analysis by Homelessness Australia, the leading body for the homelessness sector, reveals a notable increase in the number of Australians facing homelessness and rough sleeping at the time they first contact homeless services. This trend coincides with a significant rise in rental prices and historically low vacancy rates in the Australian housing market. The analysis, based on data from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, 
indicates a 5.5% increase in individuals already experiencing homelessness when seeking assistance in the 2022-23 financial year. Additionally, there was a 17% rise in the number of people encountering rough sleeping conditions at their initial contact with homeless services. Furthermore, the data shows a 16% increase in people resorting to rough sleeping after exiting homelessness support programs. There was also a 12% rise in exits to other institutions like prisons or acute mental health facilities. These figures underscore the growing challenges in addressing homelessness in Australia. Homelessness Australia CEO Kate Colvin said the data reveals the impacts of the housing crisis in Australians. She said these figures are a stark and alarming indicator of how the deepening housing crisis is pushing more Australians to sleep in their car, pitch a tent, or couch surf. It's very hard to work or learn when you have no roof over your head or a real prospect of getting a home. Australia is set to implement a nationwide ban on engineered stone products to safeguard workers from potentially fatal health issues. This ban is scheduled to take effect from July 1st, as agreed upon by federal, state, and territory workplace ministers during a recent meeting. Engineered stone, often used in kitchen countertops, has been likened to asbestos due to its associated health risks. This has been James O'Neill with your TNT News Brief. We'll be back with another news break at the top of the next hour. This is the Liberty NZ Breakfast. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Good morning, it's five minutes past five. You're with the Liberty NZ uh, Breakfast here with me, Grant Edwards, your host. And uh, as I'm just jibber-jabbing away, I'm just basically just checking my levels to make sure everything's okay. I think that's all right. Oh, that's good, yes, because I'm on my own here. Don't have a producer. That would be nice. Back in the old days, we had producers and technicians. I remember once I was working in the late shift and spilled a cup of coffee and had probably a teaspoon of sugar in it as well, and it went all over the big sound desk. In those days, they were like, oh, they were massive. The desk was a a serious table, (laughs) huge thing, and the guy had to come out and fix it. He didn't seem to mind. I suppose that was part of his job, and he seemed to get quite a kick out of um, fixing it all up, but I did did get into a bit of trouble then back in the old days when I was a young fella. Uh, Let's have a look at weather, shall we? And uh, it looks as though it's uh, the warm place to be is Kaitaia again this morning, 16.4 degrees, Lumsden, Beautiful down there, lovely place. I remember I learned to ride in a stock saddle in Lumsden when I was about 13 years old with my good friend Graham Sewell. He's now Dr. Graham Sewell. Um, don't know whether he's a state doctor or whether he's a great doctor. Now, I haven't, um, haven't really sort of kept in touch. We live in totally different areas now, and he's very busy. That's the thing, isn't it? You get old. As you grow older, you, you, know, you leave school and all your mates, they all go different ways. And, um, you know, you get on with your family and, you know, it's busy, busy. And so you sort of, it's easy to lose track, isn't it, of people? And there's only so many hours in the day. (laughs) Anyway, Lumsden, almost five degrees this morning, 4.9. Invercargill, that is the windiest place uh, in the whole country at the moment. 52 kilometres of wind, not a lot. What's that, 25 knots? So it's a fair old breeze. No sailing in Invercargill, though. You'd have to go a little bit further south to get that, wouldn't you? Uh, Hokitika, 1.2 millimetres of rain. Temperatures right across the country, it looks as though Timaru is really the only cold main centre. Oh, Blenheim as well, they're sharing 7 degrees. And uh, everywhere else is pretty much double digits apart from Lumsden. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm not sure what the temperature is outside here. I would say just, I would hazard a guess at around about 8 degrees. It's a bit cooler here. It's always cooler where I am. I like the cool climate. 
Okay, let's look at the short forecast now. In the west, this is for the whole country, in the west from Northland to Taranaki, also for the Coromandel area and also Tamaranui and Taihapi. Oh, look, I pronounced it differently this morning. Isolated showers clearing this morning and fine breaks increasing. For the Bay of Plenty, Taupo, Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, fine but some cloudy periods uh, tonight and it was going to be in the morning as well, cloudy in the morning and at night. So just interesting, I suppose the sun just burns it off during the day. Also, Taupo and the Bay of Plenty, you'll get that cloudy in the morning and clouding at night. Uh, Gale Westerlies, south of Hastings as well, but that will be easing this morning. For Wanganui to Wellington, also for the Wairarapa, fine and cloudy periods. In the South Island, Nelson, Buller and Westland, fine in Nelson. Elsewhere, uh, it's going to be cloudy periods with isolated light showers north of the glaciers and clearing. Becoming fine this afternoon. For Marlborough and Canterbury, fine weather apart from areas of morning and evening cloud, about the coast that is. Otago, Southland and Fjordland, fine weather apart from isolated showers about the coast, that's the south coast. It's going to be clearing this morning though. And finally for the Chatham Islands, showers clearing this evening. Well, we'll have to have a look together and see what's happening with the news, shall we? I'll be back shortly and we'll have a look at, uh, oh, what should we do first of all? International news or national news? Hmm. We'll see. We'll see how we go. I might look at Australian news. I'm in love with America's Christians, uh, t- uh, to be perfectly uh, uh, open about you. it. <laughs> <laughs> Not all, but, uh, but more. At least I'm those around touched. this table. It is mutual. <laughs> Thank you. It, it is a very beautiful thing in my life. But uh, uh, technically speaking, one would say that Christians are bound to nine commandments. When, well, because of, the, because of the Sabbath. Well, no, but no. Dennis, the Sabbath, it, the Sunday, gathering well, that's, on... That's the, that's the resurrection day. Well, no, it's a new no, creation, so the creation element is there, and the idea of the, the, the basic principle of the Sabbath, that, it, that it, it recognizes that moment in the week, that moment in the seven-day cycle of God resting at the end of creation, the culmination of creation. It's shifted to Sunday because Christ is seen as the new creation. Right, so fine. Are you? Uh, it's okay. Are you bound? Is a Christian bound to Sunday? Well, I would say yes. it depends. On, yes. I would say yes. No, we're not bound to Sunday. Every day, all the, every single day, for a Christian in the New Testament, we let the Bible says we live by the the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You'll find that in Romans chapter one. But all the cults out there, they're all trying to sort of get you back under the law again, aren't they? We're free from the law of sin and death. The Bible says that's what a Christian is anyway. The Old Testament, if you want to live like an Old Testament Jew, which is what the Seventh Day Adventists do. In fact, they want to live like Adam and Eve. <laughs> they want to get back to eating eating uh, nuts and and uh, fruit and stuff like that. Which I don't think they were there for very long because I don't think Eve, I, I, I doubt they'd be there for more than a week. I mean, gosh, you can't survive on that toxic, uh, toxic vegetables, can you? <laughs> no, there's so many toxins in vegetables, you've, you've got no idea. Hey, I'll tell you what I might do. I might um, have, a, have a listen to a doctor, uh, a carnivore doctor, and he'll just let you know just how wonderful the meat is. And that's what they don't want you eating. So, I mean, they're, they're in, they're, there should be a clue, actually. If the Bible says that the God of this world is the father of lies, it's the devil, he's the father of lies, he's got the small g, then uh, probably most of the stuff that we're learning could well be lies because it's not for us because he hates us, you see. So he wants us eating poorly. Uh, he doesn't want to tell us the truth about the actual, our world that we live in. He wants to withhold that information, tell us lies. 
And uh, usually it's all to do with um, the love of money. So people tell us lies as well. He convinces people to tell us lies. It's very interesting, isn't it? You would think that these people are like in direct contact with Satan. <laughs> Satan, was, Satan, is that you, Satan? Uh, it reminds me of that Jim Carrey movie where he's knocking at the door and the landlord comes up behind him and says, um, what was his name? Oh, I can't remember the, the one... Uh, Oh, why do these names disappear? Anyway, he he he, look, he looks up, he hears him from calling from behind the landlord, Satan, is that you? I think he said Satan or Lucifer, <laughs> something like that. Anyway, uh, let's go. Well, before we go to Australian news, how about we have a look at what happened on this day in history? Well, there's the Maori supremacy flag. I'm looking at a photograph there, the Maori supremacist flag flying on the Auckland Harbour Bridge. And you can thank John Key for that. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. The government recognised the Maori Tino Rangatiratanga flag, which I call the Maori supremacist flag, as the uh, preferred national Maori flag. While it does not carry official status, flying it alongside the New Zealand flag on days of national significance is intended to symbolise the uh, and enhance the crown Maori relationship. See, we don't really have a crown Maori sort of partnership. They're trying to pretend that the treaty is a partnership. It's actually not. Nothing of the sort. Just go and read the treaty. It's a very simple thing to go and read there. They don't want it in English, so that's why they want to get it out of Te Papa, the, which is our, what we call the museum here. It's called Te Papa. So that's what that was all about this week. They want it out of English so that people um, don't know what really... They, because people can read. They're coming from overseas. They look at that and they go, oh, yeah, I can't see a partnership there. It looks like Maori ceded everything to the to the crown, the queen, the, you know, the time, Victoria, or who was it when they signed that? I think it was Victoria, wasn't it? Yeah. But then, and, and her descendants. And now, but in January 2009, the Minister of Maori Affairs, Peter Sharples, used to be just Peter. <laughs> Peter. I think he's got some other name now. Oh, he's changed, changed his spelling. P I T A now. It used to be just P E T E R. Roman Catholic would have been brought up Roman. All the Roman Catholics named their children after the saints Joseph, Mary. You think about it. You can't. You go. Someone comes up. What's your name? Oh, Mary Jane. Oh, so are you? Um, would you be Jewish? No, no, a Roman Catholic. And in the old days, they used to be honest. They never because now they say, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. But they used to be honest. You'd say, are you a Christian? And they'd say, no, 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 I'm a Roman Catholic. As if it was superior. <laughs> Not now. They're trying to blend in now. Anyway, getting back to this flag, Grant. All right, then we'll get back to the flag. Uh, while it does not carry, if, oh, we read all that, didn't we? Yes, and on January 2nd, yeah, we got that too. Peter Sharples, he called for a Maori flag to be flown from the Auckland Harbour Bridge on Waitangi Day. Prime Minister John Key said that he would support flying the two flags together if agreement could be reached on the preferred flag. In July, August 2009, 21 public hui were called. Now, hui's a meeting. I don't know why they couldn't just say, you know, public meeting. But no, no, put the put the hui in there. Uh, maybe because it is what well, it was a Maori meeting, so that's a hui. Just so you know, I, they should really put in brackets, shouldn't they? Uh, hui, if they, they should say, well, what does that mean? Because isn't after all, isn't aren't words on the page? Isn't that about communication? Being able to communicate ideas. Yeah. So you really need to be able to, you know, people need to understand what's happening. So you just ch stick a Maori word in there without any under, without giving us uh, sort of uh, meanings as to what they mean. What's the point? Um, people will just look at it and go, oh, what's, what's all that then? And so that's what happens. That's another little pl ploy, really, just to get your eyes to glaze over. <laughs> and you think, oh, well, oh, I can't be bothered. Anyway, they had this 21 public meeting. Uh, what was it? Uh, 21 public hui. Oh, okay. So there were 21 public meetings throughout the country. I'll have to rewrite it. Uh, written and also online submissions were invited by Maori and other interested New Zealanders. 
four flags were identified for the consideration. Is this that, that one when he was going to change the whole flag? Was it 2009 he tried that? No, that was later, wasn't it? The official New Zealand flag, the New Zealand Red Ensign, and the United Tribes, I quite like that flag actually, it's got the Cross of St George in there, United Tribes of New Zealand flag, and the, Tiro, and the Tino Rangatiratanga flag. <laughs> it's a long one, isn't it? They must be really smart. I mean, they are. They're sons of Shem, Māori. Don't think they're not bright. They're very bright. Oh, boy, are they ever. They've got some of the highest IQ in the world. So um, I don't know why people think that uh, perhaps they're not that bright. They're very, very bright. That's why we struggle. We're a bit stupid. We're, we're pretty dumb. We're sons of Japheth, come from the northern tribes, the Vikings and all that. But we were not that bright. Anyway, um, no, nowhere near as bright. Of course, we know the brightest people in the whole world are the Jews. In fact, especially those Ashkenazis. Gosh, they get a lot of bad flack in the news, don't they? The Ashkenazis, nasty Ashkenazis. But in actual fact, they're the lovely ones. They're, the, they're the God's children. But of course, Christians now, they've gone off the rails. They seem to be believing the Roman Catholic doctrine that the uh, Jews are some wicked, evil thing. I mean, that was the whole point of that meeting that Yasser Arafat's uncle, Uncle Husseini, had in Germany. We don't flew over to Germany. What are you flying? Probably went on a ship. Probably, oh, I don't know, would it be that far to go? Oh, I don't know. But he anyway, had a meeting in Germany with Adolf Hitler, and Hitler said to him, and this is all recorded, it says that I want you to understand this, Sir Husseini, because uh, I don't think he was particularly fond of the Arabs, but he said, look, I, I need you to understand this. This war that we've got happening at the moment, it's not a war of boundaries. This is a war of the annihilation of the Jewish people. And so, oh, good, because he didn't like that, because they've got this deep-rooted, this they've sort of, uh, yeah, it's a very deep-rooted hatred of the Jews versus the Arabs, and yet they're half-brothers. I mean, the, um, they, they, it all started, the Jews and the Arabs, that started way back with Abraham. Abraham had a wife. Those that listen to the program regularly will know all this, um, and he, she couldn't have a baby. She was getting on. She was barren, in fact, but God promised them a descendant, that their descendant would be, would be just, you know, multi-millions of them. Well, how many are there now? 12,000, 12 million. Anyway, um, is that about, I think it's about that, isn't it? Let me know anyway if I'm wrong. 021-732-423, because I do get things wrong from time to time. I used to have a friend who used to say, I cannot afford to make a mistake. <laughs> he was always, he always thought he was right. But anyway, so Abraham's, um, well, Sarah, it's all her fault, really. He, Abraham listened to his flipping wife again, just like Adam. Silly, really. Listen to her. Eat this. Um, go on, you love it. The devil said it's okay. <laughs> the snake said it's tasty and we'll be like gods. But anyway, so Abraham, um, he listened to his wife, Sarah, because she laughed too. She didn't believe that God would give her a baby. She was barren, as I said. And anyway, so they had a handmaiden, actually. Now, that's sort of like a bond servant. It's not a slave. It's sort of they're indentured servants. We have that, don't we? Have that in um, the military and the navy and stuff like that. You're bonded to the navy, so they train you, and in return you give them service. Um, but of course, back then they probably didn't pay you. Well, they put a feather, I suppose. <laughs> of they did. Her name was Hagar or Hagar, depending on however you want to say it. And um, so, oh, good old um, Abraham said, "Oh, all right then, Sarah. Oh, good." So he he ran into the uh, the tent and shagged her, uh, old Hagar, and out popped Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of the Arab nations. Do you realise that they didn't come from Arabia? <laughs> they might have gone to Arabia because. Uh, Sarah and Hagar didn't get along, and uh, the the little boy, uh, the older boy, he was supposed to get sort of, of course the eldest son. He gets they get all the promises. And God promised Abraham 
all the land as far as the eye can see. He said, you'll have everything. I mean, it was almost up there in southern Russia, all the way down to northern Africa. And from the river Euphrates, not the Jordan, we'll keep on going, thank you very much. I think it's from the Euphrates. I mean, it could be wrong on that. Let me know, 021-732-423. Uh, Matt's pretty cluey on things like this. He's um, he's a Bible believer, so he'll, he'll know. Or John G., if you're listening, give me a, a text and let me know. I've got the phone right here. So I can do that. Um, I thought it was always the river Euphrates to the sea, which is you know how that you know how they're crying at the moment from the you know the anti-Semites all running around the world pretending they're not anti-Semites. So oh, it's just I don't like uh, Zionism, which is the name Zion is the name for Jerusalem. That's all that is by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down. We remember Zion, you know the one. Yeah, I'm not very good at singing. Boney M did a better job than I did. So from the river to the sea, that's the cry that um, you know some of these uh, weirdo leftists. Um, the leftists and the and the Muslim terrorists are really in cahoots, aren't they? You would think they were, you'd think they were planning things together. But anyway, this is the promise that God gave Abraham. Took him up there. He says, from everywhere. I think it was for Euphrates. Could be wrong. Could have been the Jordan, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. That's all going to be yours. And of course, they don't have that now. They have a little strip about the size of a cigar. Looking at it, it looks like a, you know, it's a long sort of thing. And um, and all of Gaza that all belongs to the to the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now he never promised it to the bond servant. Why would he do that? So therefore, but even though he was the eldest, so the Arabs are running around now saying that um, because they, you know, and they're Palestinians. They're not Palestinians at all. That's just an invented term. I think it was Hadrian that changed the name of Israel to um, to uh, Palestina, Syria, Palestina, or Philistina, or something like that. And all the Philistines, they've gone. They were fighting in the Gaza area as well. And I think David pretty much did a good job of wiping them out. Um, you know, if, if you went to Sunday school, you'd, you'd remember the story of uh, David and Goliath. That was his first real sort of good old battle. And Goliath had, I think he took, apparently he took a few more than one stone too because he had brothers. I think he took five stones with him because he had four four brothers. As far as I know, if someone told me that, um, oh, Dennis Lloyd, Denny Lloyd, I think he told me told me that. I haven't checked it out. Sometimes we, we are taught things and we don't check them out and, they, and they, sometimes they might not be true. So you do have to watch that. Oh, look at the time. 21 past 5 too, by the way, for those of you that are, have to get ready and go somewhere. We better let you, better, I'll be a bit more um, organised this morning and I'll, I'll try and let you know sort of uh, what things are, what things are going, uh, happening around the place. Okay, now gather your thoughts, Grant, because we want to finish the story. So the Arabs and the Jews, you see, say they're half-brothers. And so, and all those descendants, they're all sons of Shem too, by the way. Did you know that? I think that's where we're getting back to the fact that Mari aren't, aren't stupid. They're pretty bright. And so that's why they can handle big long words like this. And I can't because I'm just a dumb Japhethite. Tino Rangatira Tanga flag. And that was the one. <laughs> anyway, we'll go back to New Zealand now. And so you've got that little story there. So, so always remember this. Even, even though they hate each other's guts, the so-called Palestinians, which are Arabs and the Israelis, uh, I don't think the Israelis hate them as much, although they're pretty not very happy with them at the moment after them slaughtering 14, you know, just it's the worst atrocity since the Second World War uh, that's ever happened to the Jewish people. And people just seem to be just brushing that under the carpet. But people, thank goodness, people like Douglas Murray and Dennis Prager and uh, others are bringing it to the surface. And good on, on Piers Morgan. 
Um, I'm not particularly fond of him, but good on him for having all sorts of people in there. I mean, I was watched a video last night. It was a couple of Arabs, and I just thought to myself, and now, so good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome back to the program. Now, I've just got to make a few changes, but I'll do that later when I uh, play something. Okay, uh, now we're all confused. Let's have a bit of a fun commercial here. This is just a funny one. It's not a real, real commercial, but that'll give me a moment to uh, gather my thoughts and get everything together back on track again for the breakfast program. It's 29 past five. John Moore Plumbing. It's 2 a.m. and I'm not asleep. No, I'm not either. Are you having insomnia too? No, I'm having a phone conversation. When I can't sleep, I read the yellow pages. Do you ever do that? No. Anyway, I saw that John Moore Plumbing is open 24 hours a day, so I thought I'd call. Oh, well, yeah, John Moore Plumbing has a 24-hour emergency service. Do you have an emergency? Well, I'm desperate. Does desperate count? Are you desperate about your plumbing? Sometimes. How about tonight? I'm sorry. I have plans for tonight. Uh, No, no. I mean, do you have leaking pipes or backed up toilets or something? Hold on a second. I'll check. When you have a plumbing emergency in the middle of the night or the middle of the day, call John Moore. Call 590-5555, 24 hours a day, and you'll always get prompt service when you call John Moore Plumbing, even at 2 a.m. Toilets are fine. I can't see the pipes. Why not? They're underwater. I'll be right over. I'll set a place for you. John Moore Plumbing, 590-5555. Call John and get more. That's right. That is funny. You'll get more. Right? Watch out, John. Um, now, okay, we uh, we were talking about uh, on this day in history. Of course, today is Thursday, the 14th of December. But on this day in 2009, the cabinet endorses Tino Rangatira Tanga flag. That's happened. Uh, the government recognised the Māori Tino, it's Tino Rangatira Tanga flag as the preferred national Māori flag. While it doesn't carry significant uh, really official official status, uh, flying it alongside the New Zealand flag on days of national significance is intended to symbolise the. In- uh, and enhance the Crown Maori relationship. They're trying to say partnership, but they've got here relationship. Uh, in January 2009, Maori uh, Minister of Affairs Peter Sharples, and his name used to be just P E T E R, now it's P I T A, Peter Sharples, um, they called for a Maori flag to be flown from the Auckland Harbour Bridge on Waitangi Day. Prime Minister John Key at the time in 2009, he said that he would support flying the two flags together if agreement could be reached on a preferred flag. In July, August 2009, 21 public meetings were held and written and online submissions were invited from Māori and other interested New Zealanders. Four flags were identified for consideration, the official New Zealand flag, the New Zealand Red Ensign, the United Tribes flag of New Zealand and the Tino Rangatira Tanga flag. Of the 1,200 submissions received, 80% opted for the Tino Rangatira Tanga flag. Now, the flag had originally been developed by members of the group Te Kawariki. Te, uh, yes, Te Kawariki. Struggling this morning, must be <laughs> the old dyslexia is kicking in. Uh, that was in 1989 and unveiled at Waitangi. Uh, at the big Waitangi Day ceremony that we have every year on the 6th of February, and that happened in 1990. Gosh, that's 33 years ago, isn't it? Almost 34 years ago. All right, so that's what happened on this day in history. Isn't that wonderful? Marvellous. Be back in a moment. People, for instance, talk a lot these days, and, and for many years, and for good reasons, about the suffering of hundreds of thousands of Palestinians who lost their homes in 1948. Mm. Few people know that as a result of the 1948 war, also hundreds of thousands of Jews lost their homes in retaliation for the war 
uh, Jewish communities all over the Middle East, in Arab countries, in Egypt, in Iraq, in Yemen, in Syria, the largest group of people now living in Israel are Jews that were expelled as refugees as a result of the 1948 war. Now, does this justify what happened to the Palestinians? No. Does this justify the Israeli occupation and the mistreatment of Palestinians there? Absolutely not. And we shouldn't use historical injuries to justify more injuries. Yes, now that's Yuval Harari. That's his name, Yuval Noah Harari. I'm not that keen. of. He's a Jew, but I'm not particularly keen of that one because he's tied up there with Klaus Schwab, who's the head of the WIF, the World Economic Forum, and I don't really like the sound of some of the things that he says, actually. Uh, now, let's have a listen to, well, not a listen, but you can have a listen to me, uh, 26 minutes to 6 o'clock. Of course, we'll have the TNT Radio News at 6, but right now I'm over on Mark Spring's blog. Mark is spelt without a K. It's got the C there instead of it. You'll find him at markspring.com, and his latest uh, piece is, uh, I've got a picture there of a, a nice uh, Pat Murray lady. Stop three waters. Good on you, love. Stop three waters. And uh, so that's good to see her doing that. He said, another hangover, this is Mark, another hangover of the previous government is the five-year contracts that some three waters staff have signed. There are, there's, uh, we are just one year in, he said. So gosh, so we've got two more years to go. What a joke when the previous government knew that three waters would not survive a change of government. Once again, we are saddled with the debt that previous Labour-led government knew was coming. Where's the accountability? Prime Minister Luxon has admitted that he is aware of the likely coming payouts. How about naming and shaming the people who approved all this mess? It's not a question. <laughs> he says we've got, we've got to do it. Uh, the employment contracts are one thing, but what about the building leases and the fit-outs? Who signed those off? They need to be named. You're quite right, Mark. One source of this blog, that's what he says, someone approached him and he said they're involved in the real estate sector. They tell us that a lease is in place for a decade and nobody's even in the offices. The sting of the tail from the previous Labor failed Labour government has a long way to go for the poor, suffering Kiwi taxpayer. It does, Mark. You're absolutely right. Now, let's also have a look at this one. This is an interesting story from exposenews.com. Uh, former Italian minister Roberto Speranza, he's under investigation for homicide after emails revealed that from the very, that he knew from the very start about the vaccinations. He knew the shots were killing people and gave orders to local health authorities to conceal the deaths and serious side effects in order to reassure Italian citizens of their safety and to not jeopardise the vaccination campaign. And that was first reported uh, by Greg Rees and uh, sort of went viral on X uh, just a few days ago. And this one we're reading from exposenews.com. It's got the little hyphen between expose and news in case you're having trouble finding it. Uh, also, some other top stories. We'll go over to Australia now, shall we? And we'll have a look at their headlines. Oh, I bet you didn't know this. There's a, a, an Aussie. Um, he's a nerdy, so they, they reckon he's a nerdy sort of an Australian farmer. Behind, he's behind the Indian Tunnel Rescue that saved 41 people just a, about a week ago. His name's Arnold Dix, and he was in Europe when he received a call about the tunnel's collapse from India's chief engineer. So obviously they knew this guy was pretty clever, and he was instrumental. This is Arnold Arnie. He was instrumental in getting all of the trap workers out. And he just looks like a just a really nice regular guy. 
got the receding hairline on both sides, like you know we all do. <laughs> Quite a, a lot of intelligent people have that happen to them. Now uh, let's go back to the very beginning, and uh, we'll have a look at the, these stories are from abc.net.au. They're the top stories, and children among 53 injured in Russian missile strike, the one that hit uh, Kiev apartments, and children are in hospital. Mm. The thing is, we can't always hear, believe everything that we hear, can we? We have to be careful of that, so you almost have to take everything that I'm reading to, everything you hear on the news, with a grain of salt, because it could be, be nice to know what the Russians think about it. I mean, it, it might not. could be a false flag. That happens, doesn't it? Uh, what about when um, Israel was straight away accused of bombing a hospital? You know, Israel don't bomb hospitals, and they're not carrying out a genocide. Uh, they are carrying out a bombing campaign, absolutely. And innocent civilians, they do get uh, uh, killed and injured. That is the nature of war. And um, it's a bit like, um, but I mean, you know, in Dres- the Dresden, when in the UK were bombing the town of uh, city of Dresden, I mean, they knew. They knew full well that innocent uh, civilians, but they were still trying to bomb. Um, I don't know, were they? I don't know. I think it, I think that was that was worse. I think what the UK did was far worse than Israel. Um, what they're doing at the moment, they are very strategic. They've got some pretty good bombs, but people do get killed. But it's, you wouldn't call it a genocide. Genocide and terrorism is when you specifically target innocent civilians, unarmed combatants, which is what the Maoris did from the 1840s, rather all the way up to almost 1870. Um, and if you look at uh, the newspapers there, if you study those old newspapers, it gives the details of the killings. There's about 95 that we know of and many more Maori as well, though a lot of Maori were killed by these uh, marauding gangs, sort of gang members, I suppose, just sort of like mobs of uh, Maoris running around. They've sort of um, pretend that they're sort of this revered them now in history, haven't they? But really they were just, you know, outlaws and uh, gang members, and they just they would slaughter innocent civilians, people out a child picking pears for his mother, uh, a farmer going off to inspect a, a bull with another fellow, uh, just tomahawked to death. They didn't use Mary's. Um, they were well. Maori had plenty of steel. Maybe they were trading with the whalers. Some people even believe that uh, Maori arrived on whaling ships because whaling is actually a five thousand year old industry. 5,000 years, so it wouldn't be, wouldn't be sort of unreasonable to suggest that many of them did arrive on as um, either crew or slave crew uh, on board, you know, because they're quite strong, uh, on board these whaling ships. And, um, you know, and they would so they would have had metal, uh, plenty of steel, that sort of thing. And so they're able to do the carving because sometimes I think, I think Dennis Hall would say, well, how would they do carvings with, uh, you know, calling them a Stone Age culture? I think they might have been a long time ago, but, and they had them, maybe they were more for decoration, things like the, um, the Medi, which was made out of greenstone, stuff like that. But no, they had tomahawks. All of the, uh, well, certainly in the 1840s and 1880s, they didn't use, you know, they, I think by then they had muskets, didn't they? But um, they certainly weren't using, um, you know, Stone Age um, weapons. When they were in battle, they were using tomahawks, bladed things, and all the tattoos and stuff like that, they would have been done with blades. Probably traded when they traded their daughters uh, for sex with the sailors, um, I would think, probably. They would have uh, got all sorts of things uh, from the the whalers, who were the first ones here, really. Like I said, it's a 5,000-year-old industry. Anyways, but um, I don't know how I, I went from the children in the hospital uh, being um, anyway, so we're there. We'll get back to Australian news and um, try and stay on track. This is oh, I do need I do need someone to keep me on track. Yes, I do. Uh, Australia has uh, expands the Ukrainian military training mission 
Um, now they've ex- expanded it. So Australian personnel who've been training Ukrainian military, and of course our New Zealanders have been doing the same as well. Uh, they've been over there, I'm not sure for how many months, probably three months at a time. And I'm not sure if there's anybody there now, but a New Zealand Defence Force, they sent personnel uh, over to, I think, uh, large numbers actually, over to uh, the United Kingdom. Not sure if they sent them anywhere else, but they sent them over there. And their job was to train the Ukrainian military, which and and I think many of them smart guys, you know, because they they don't, you know, they're not silly. The New Zealand Defence Force personnel, they knew that they were training men to go to their death. And uh, if you listen to Colonel Douglas McGregor, we know that over half a million Ukrainian soldiers have been killed on the battlefield alone. Uh, that's not not including civilians. That's just uh, soldiers, and many of them are. Uh, surrendering to the Russians because they know that they'll be better looked after than they will be by their own uh, their own side, and they don't have they're not able to actually evacuate them. So and they all speak Russian, so um, most of them. So anyway, but Australian personnel they've been training Ukrainian military recruits, and they'll be welcomed home today. That's today, as the government announces an expansion of the assistance mission, which is terrible, really. And I wouldn't want to be in the New Zealand Defence Force or any or the Australian um, Defence Force going over and having to train people that are just going to be wiped out by the Russians because they're far superior. And we know that it's not really a war against Kiev. We know that it's actually um, the United Nations, uh, NATO, uh, and pretty much ruled by Washington and London. Uh, they pretty much do the rest of, tell the rest of Europe what to do. And so it's actually a proxy war, isn't it? And uh, sadly, they, um, you know, Washington and London, they are using Ukrainian civilians uh, and soldiers uh, as um, cannon fodder, so not very good. Now, Charlotte uh, says she wasn't informed about the risk of cosmetic surgery. Really? The new rules aim to change things, and this is put out by the National Health Reporter Elise Worthington and Specialist Reporting Team Mary Lloyd. Uh, she's the one of the ones in there. This is in Australia. This is we talk, We're looking at the ABC Net, ABC News. ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, I suppose. Uh, facilities and services providing cosmetic surgery will be forced to comply with new national standards released today, as part that would have been last night, as part of a, a suite of crackdowns on the industry by regulators. Uh, former Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan, he's indicted. Uh, a Pakistani court indicts former Prime Minister Imran Khan on charges of leaking state secrets a charge he denies, and I think he's an innocent man, and uh, so they don't want him to run. They're doing a Trump on him, aren't they? Don't, they're not doing a Trump, but they're doing what they're doing to Trump, uh, you know, by trying to indict him and say that he overvalued his properties, that sort of rubbish, and uh, they're doing the same because they know that he'll win. He's the favourite there, former cricketer, and uh, Imran Khan. I can't, I've heard him on the Leighton Smith show years ago, probably back in the 90s, Back when I was involved with um, late 80s, early 90s, when I was involved with um, radio back then, I remember um, the, the conversation. And also speaking about Leighton Smith, there was a very good podcast, the last one for the year. It's called Jerusalem, and it's about, about a book. And look, do go over to the Leighton Smith podcast and have a listen to that. In fact, um, I was just so tired yesterday because I worked so hard doing fencing. And... Um, yeah, you know, when you get on a bit, it's a bit difficult. It's a bit hard. It's hard work for the old chaps. But anyway, uh, so I didn't have time to record it. I was going to. It was the, it's one of the best ones I've ever uh, heard. And Leighton is a very good reader. And he read uh, the first, the introduction to this book. And I'm not, I can't quite remember. I haven't got my, I'm not organized today. Uh, but it was a, a book written by a fellow. And it gives the details of when Titus, the 
uh, who was ruling, the, he was the head of the Roman legions um, of the army that sacked Jerusalem at the time. It was very interesting, and I learned so much from that as he read out just 10 pages, which seemed to take quite a while. Uh, Leighton's very good. Very, it was just wonderful. I was, I was just uh, absorbed in it. I couldn't, couldn't stop listening. So that's the Leighton Smith podcast. You'll find that on all of them. I think they're on iHeart. That's their main one. Uh, we go out on Podbean, but they're on all of them. Uh, so yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, if you don't listen to Leighton Smith, you must listen to this one because it just you know it's 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 very clever the way he did it. He's he just read that out that the introduction, and it's very clear from any listener for for the listeners to that you know Israel was a thing. It was never Palestine, um, and um, so he Leighton doesn't come out and say that. But just reading this introduction to this book, which he said he's had in his library for ages, and then he thought, well, I'll go and read it. I think he, I think he started to read it. It's six hundred pages too, by the way, so it's a big volume. And I want that book because after listening to the Leighton Smith podcast and him just reading out the introduction, uh, it, I was enthralled with it, and I, I, I wanted to know it because I just learned so much. I mean, I knew that it was Titus, head of the Roman legions, that sacked uh, Jerusalem, and I knew that Jesus had given a commandment, uh, sorry, given a, a prophecy that not one stone would be left unturned on the, in the temple. He pointed to the temple, and uh, so because they had gold, there was gold inside there, and of course when it was all, they, everything was lit on fire, uh, absolute destruction, uh, probably worse than when the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem back all those years ago, 500 years earlier, and um, there was uh, just an Oh, and that's right. Yeah. So Jesus gave the um, the um, prophecy that not one stone would be left unturned, and of course, with the gold, uh, it melted, didn't it? And not one stone was left unturned. But the stories, the horrific stories of one woman who uh, she was, they were so hungry, and because the siege went on for you know ages, a long, long time, and um, uh, she was so hungry, she roasted her own son, and then they smelt the um the smell of his you know the savor this you know and they came and you know and killed her and and ate the rest of him she kept half for later i think she ate half of it and and there was stories like this it's just unbelievable and what else happened no one else did i read oh that's right some of the some of the um the people that were living in jerusalem they would um swallow their gold and silver coins and um so the so the romans i think and and others as well because it was more than just romans there there was a real real good old battle happening they would um, gut them all, even when they're alive, and and get the um, get the get the money out. Unbelievable stuff going on. And then there was Herod. I think he was spared. And then there was um, I think there was about three of them. Are, and then Josephus. I think he was because he was the one that did, wrote the account of it all. It's just fascinating reading. So go over and have a listen to the Leighton Smith podcast. And it's well worth just listening to that introduction that Leighton reads out. That's all it's about. No interviews on this one. And so that's the last for the year. It was going to be the 6th, I think, of December was his last podcast. And he's off on holiday. But he did one uh, yesterday. And it was just brilliant. Okay, so let's get back to the news. And Tesla are recalling more than 2 million vehicles across the United States to fix a defective autopilot system. You want that to be right, don't you? Uh, The recall comes after a two-year investigation by the U.S. auto safety regulators into a series of crashes that happened while the autopilot system was in use. And in Western Australia, the government has backflipped on Goldfield's grandmother's pre-Christmas eviction. The Department of uh, Communities says it never had any intention of evicting a 74-year-old Malba Manmuri from public housing in Coolgardie, despite telling her 
she would be evicted on Wednesday. Former administrators and Solicitor General remembering as uh, remembered rather as a true Northern Territory legend at his state funeral. Uh, on what would have been his 77th birthday, hundreds of friends and family, they gathered uh, and to hear glowing tributes to Tom Pauling. And he's got letters after his name. I know what KC is, the King's Council, but I'm not sure what AO, I guess it's Australian Order and King's Council, or something like that from uh, from the from the Crown. Uh, that was at his state funeral that was held in Darwin. And the mother and son jarred for attempting to hide an Indigenous, an Aboriginal woman's body following the fatal hit-and-run, and uh, a mother and her son, they uh, tried to cover up the hit-and-run death of an Aboriginal woman by moving and burying most of her body in Darwin's rural area, have been sentenced in the Northern Territory Supreme Court. The victim's leg was found on the side of the Stewart Highway last year. Nasty. And then we talked about that nerdy fellow, the farmer, uh, who was uh, able to get those 41 Indian miners out. And uh, just a few more stories from Australia, a couple more, then we'll move back to New Zealand. It's 10 to 6. Of course, we'll have that stick around because you you won't have me uh, yapping. You will have uh, a real newsreader from TNT Radio News. You'll have that. And that's international news. And often, it's, I'm surprised at how often New Zealand comes up in the news as well, New Zealand and Australia. A court hears who the man who uh, former pro, he killed f- former pro surfer Chris Davidson. He wanted to protect his children, so Davidson must have been a predator. A one-punch attacker's barrister tells the New South Wales court that he was triggered by seeing the victim, who was convicted, who was a convicted child sex offender. He saw him with a young woman before the fatal assault. And snowy hydro tunnel boring machine moving a year after getting stuck. The 143 metre long tunnel boring machine working on the massive snowy hydro 2.0 project is moving again a year after getting stuck and causing a large sinkhole. Also, the court rules parts of New South Wales protest laws are invalid after a challenge by a knitting nanas activists. <laughs> they are. They look like they're in the seventies. The knitting nanas. The law passed in April two thousand and twenty-two after a series of climate protests meant people could be fined twenty-two thousand dollars or jailed for two years for causing a major facility to be closed, or if someone using the area had to be redirected. And so that was what they would do. And despite alleged confession and new witnesses, Cheryl Grimmer's The Cold Case Inquest is ruled out. New South Wales Attorney General Michael Daly has rejected calls for a fresh inquest into the 1970s disappearance of the three-year-old, as well as other requests made by her family and the detective who worked on the case. And so uh, that is Australian news. And uh, we'll be back with some New Zealand news in just a moment. They thought they were CNN, and CNN was huge. CNN is the news. CNN is a gigantic corporation. They have a big building, a whole deal, giant sign. They didn't understand that this podcast is 10 times larger than them. And it was exposed during that whole thing, where they just made this terrible chess move. They just ran out in the middle with their king. That's how I found myself in the middle of all this. That's how I found myself having conversations with Peter McCullough and Robert Malone and a lot of other people, a lot of very intelligent people that weren't crazy. They weren't tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists or QAnon believers. They were just intelligent people that had looked at all the data and had said, I think we're being lied to. Nine to six, and of course that's Joe Rogan. Now I'm over at uh, New New Zealand Herald actually right now, NZ Herald, you'll find them, nzherald.co.nz 
And uh, so what do they say? Well, the Social Development and Employment Minister, Louise Upton, she's the new one for National, she says that she wants to be known as compassionate, quote-unquote, rather than kind, <laughs> which is what Jacinda used to say. You've got to be kind, but her kind of kindness is not very nice, is it? So this woman, she wants to be compassionate rather than kind in the role, and uh, while she's pushing back on the rhetoric, the right engages on beneficiary bashing, calling the comments absolute rot. She just says no rubbers. Her name is Upston. Uh, uh, up, yes, Upston. Yes, it is Upston. She was determined to take on the role after the 2000 and uh, and she was rather determined and she was destined to take it on in 2017. But uh, if that's if National had emerged victorious. But instead, Labour came into government and Camille Cipolloni, she spent six years at the helm. Labour initially undid some of National's approach to the previous nine years, particularly around sanctions, while undertaking a major review of the welfare system through the social, um, what they call welfare ex, uh, expert advisory group. So there'll be some kind of an NGO. There's a link on that too, a sort of a sub-link, so you can go and find out about that if you are keen to go over to New Zealand. Hilde, I think you're doing a reasonably good job for a mainstream media. Um, they don't seem to be as bad as uh, some of the others like Rad New Zealand, which we pay for, and stuff, of course, that have to be the worst uh, offenders of all of um, putting out disinformation and uh, favouring the last government. But still, um, we have... We have a war, don't we? We have a war uh, against the um, the coalition government by the mainstream media at the moment. Now, Cipollone also introduced the cultural change, wanting to create a friendlier, warmer environment. Upson said that she was not promising any radical changes, but wanted the social welfare system to have a stronger focus on getting people into work, which I think is very reasonable, something she relayed to top officials in her first day on the job. Now, don't let that fool you. Uh, top officials in her first day on the job, that's the deep state. Those people are running the country. Uh, those uh, bureaucrats, uh, she'll be, this is, her first day on the job will be one of being inducted by them, where they'll basically be telling her what to do. And this here is just a press release uh, to make it sound like she's actually running the show, when in actual fact she's just the actress uh, that's what they are, actors, really, and they're following out United Nations orders through the bureaucracy in our country. That's the truth of it. This is this is the world according to Grant. Now, I could be, I could be totally wrong. I, I admit that, but that's the way I see it because I've met a few of these people that work in these government departments, and they tell me, uh, and this is um, well, uh, yeah, this is this is fairly accurate information uh, because I've I've uh, known a few high-level managers in departments and government departments like Justice Department and others, and they basically say we don't. It doesn't really matter who's in. Sometimes we get difficult ministers, and we've got to re-educate them, but we induct them into the system, and pretty much they follow out what they follow what we t we tell them to you know to do and uh, it doesn't matter whether it's labor or national or whoever else some other johnny come lately it doesn't matter they basically do what we say because we uh well as unelected officials that's the thing you've got to remember we didn't elect them we don't even know who these people are half the time and then they have these what you know different advisory groups which are non-government organizations and they are where do they come from they're sort of corporates they're sort of um sort of um international corporations. It's, and to me, it sounds very tre treasonous that we're taking advice from these organizations and not listening to what the people of this country want. So our, our country is not run by politicians, really. They're just the ones that 
uh, pretend to run the country. They they're the ones that you know that, that go through this. It's sort of like it like a big act, really. It's like a Shakespearean play, and we sit there and watch and are entertained by the politicians. But really, the people that are running our country are the bureaucrats and the government departments who tell the politicians this is how it's going to be done, and they don't really argue. And if they do, they get into trouble, don't they? And then the media have a crack at them. And so if they're, being, if they're falling out with, the, with their department that they're supposed to be the minister over, well, that's a good thing. <laughs> because then, but they, they, they'll soon whip them into line. You know, it doesn't take too long. They all just got to do what they're told. Actors they are. And um, some of them are very poor actors. So that's the top story for New Zealand Herald. Uh, move across now to Radio New Zealand. And the big story there is uh, kicking the guts. Workers in shock after sudden news of a factory closure. Workers of the Hawke's Bay clothing factory say that they were blindsided by a decision to close its doors. And um, so that, I'm not sure who, what the company is, but I suppose we could have a look, shouldn't we? Uh, it was made uh, made at Hair Factory. Oh, okay, which supplies boutique clothing. A company, uh, uh, what they call Kilt. Company Kilt. It uh, told its staff last month that they would no longer be afford, uh, afford to be able to keep that factory running. The news came to the factory of 14 workers in the form of a PowerPoint presentation. Oh, yuck. <laughs> oh, that's just awful, isn't it? An unexpected meeting on the 7th of November, oh, so they've known for a while. And the work, one worker said it was a kick in the guts. And they were told that Kilt's store sales were down and the factory staff were doing a good job but just too expensive. So I guess what they'll do is they'll fire them all and then they'll start up under a new brand and they'll have them all made overseas. I know people that have stuff made up in the islands, Fiji and stuff like that, because they just can't get uh, people for a reasonable price here in New Zealand. So that's that's the trouble, isn't it? And I don't know, I don't like regulation, but uh, maybe sometimes you've got to regulate. Like we should be regulating stopping all these immigrants coming in to work when we've got New Zealanders that are out of work. You know, they sh- they're the ones that should be working, not... Uh, not foreigners being brought in, but of course, when you're in business, you want to make a profit, and uh, so, and the love of money is the root of all evil. Is you don't really care. I mean, I did. I, I when I was in business for 24 years, I was publishing magazines, and I did my best to make sure that I uh, well, I employed a lot of young people, and pay them very good money, uh, well, at least five or six dollars above the award rate for what they should have been getting. A lot of them were at um, university or. Uh, uh, technical institutes, you know, doing graphic design, that sort of thing, and communications, um, you know, learning to be leftists. <laughs> but um, uh, it was it was good. I, you know, I didn't go out trying, looking for pe- people that weren't um, New Zealanders. I just, if they, I, well, in fact, I didn't even look at the CVs. I basically say, just come in and typeset. I give them a page. I'd say, just typeset that for me. We call it typeset. It's not really. It's an old-fashioned term. Type. Setting type is what they used to do in the old days in the printing shops. But really, it's just you sit on your, on your whatever it is you're using. I don't know today whether it's Quark Express or whether it's some new one. Um, I wouldn't have a clue we were using that. I think back in the old days, we had PageMaker and CorelDRAW and all these funny old terms, uh, that, old programs that are probably well outdated now. Uh, sold my business in 2005. And um, yeah, so uh, I mean, the last publication, I think uh, that one was involved in that up until about 2015 and that was the end of that but um they uh yeah so she set that page for me you know just go and do and and if they did a good job and they did it quickly they got the job um if they couldn't because they would often say oh yes i'm a i'm a graphic designer and all that and i blah 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 and you get them there and they couldn't do it at all you know hopeless so the best thing is and no one writes anything 
uh, bad on a CV, do they? So what's the point of even looking at them? You know, they run around trying to find someone to write some glowing report about how wonderful they are. And in actual fact, they're hopeless. So just sit them down and they just say, sit down and, and do that page for me. Here's a page. Uh, I want you to lay that out, set it up for me as if it's a new template for um, one of our real estate pages because we did a lot of real estate magazines. If they couldn't do it or they couldn't get the job, so I'd go away and do some learning. Uh, so that's the best way to teach them. Okay, so uh, that's the kick in the guts. Poor old company there closing down. Other top stories. Oh, we've got news coming up from TNT as well. So we'll go to TNT Radio News and then I'll be back with weather right after that. TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. In a critical House of Commons vote on the Rwanda bill, UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak narrowly avoided a major setback as Conservative rebels chose to abstain rather than directly oppose the legislation. Despite this narrow escape, the government still faces challenges as immigration hardliners demand significant amendments to the bill before its next reading. The bill, which aims to designate Rwanda as a safe destination for sending illegal migrants, passed its second reading with a 44-vote margin, receiving 313 votes in favor and 269 against. However, this victory may be temporary for Sunak, as approximately 40 conservative MPs abstained and have threatened to oppose the bill in future readings unless major changes are made. Marc Francois, leader of the European Research Group, a faction of pro-Brexit MPs, stated that the dissenting MPs plan to propose amendments during the committee stage. He also warned that if the bill remains insufficient after these amendments, the group is prepared to vote against it during the third reading. With the support they currently have, these rebels could potentially defeat the government. Francois emphasized the intention to introduce amendments that would address the bill's perceived weaknesses. The decision by the Tory rebels to abstain has temporarily eased pressure on Sunak, as a significant number of his party members voting against the bill would have raised serious questions about his leadership. Nevertheless, this recent success is likely to be short-lived, with the decisive confrontation over the bill anticipated at his third reading in January. On Monday, Pope Francis highlighted the contribution of immigrants encountering Italy's declining population and encouraged Italians to embrace them as part of their families. Speaking to a group of government officials at the Vatican, the Pope remarked on the positive impact of well-integrated immigrants in Italy, a country currently experiencing a shortage of children. The Pope reiterated his concern about Italy's low birth rate, expressing disappointment over the decreasing number of children being born in Italian families. He shared an anecdote about one of his secretaries, who, while walking in the square, encountered a woman with a baby carriage that, upon closer inspection, contained a small dog instead of a child. This incident led the Pope to reflect on the preference for pets over children in some cases. Pope Francis emphasized that Italians not only have a responsibility to bear children, but also to welcome migrants as if they were their own sons and daughters, highlighting the importance of both demographics and shaping the future of Italy. The mid-year economic and fiscal outlook in Australia reported a $1.1 billion deficit. But due to a robust labor market and increasing commodity prices, projections suggest the Albanese Labor government may achieve a second consecutive budget surplus. The Commonwealth Bank predicts a surplus could be close to $20 billion, nearly on par with the $22.1 billion surplus recorded in the previous financial year. Over the next four years, up to 2026-27, there is an expectation of an additional $39.5 billion in revenue. The government has reported that it's already secured 92% of these revenue gains since the last budget. A recent analysis by Homelessness Australia, the leading body for the homelessness sector, 
reveals a notable increase in the number of Australians facing homelessness and rough sleeping at the time they first contact homeless services. This trend coincides with a significant rise in rental prices and historically low vacancy rates in the Australian housing market. The analysis indicates a 5.5% increase in individuals already experiencing homelessness when seeking assistance in the 2022-23 financial year. Furthermore, the data shows a 16% increase in people resorting to rough sleeping after exiting homelessness support programs. There was also a 12% rise in exits to other institutions like prisons or acute mental health facilities. This has been James O'Neill with your TNT News Brief. We'll be back with another news break at the top of the next hour. Thank you, James. It's five past. Uh, gosh, it's still going in my ear. There we are. Five past six. Good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to the program. And uh, I promised you I said I'd play more music, didn't I? <laughs> and then I got carried away with the conversation. We're talking about desktop publishing and how I, I this is just before the news, desktop publishing and how I, I didn't listen, I didn't look at any um, uh, CVs, curriculum vitae. I never looked at those. So people would come in and they'd hand me their lovely big CV they'd prepared, spend all that time preparing. I'd just no, say, don't worry about that. No, I don't need to see it. No one ever writes anything in there that's bad, do they? And so uh, how about you just go and uh, set up this whole page of desktop publishing, just do that page for me. And if they could do it quickly and effectively, and uh, if they couldn't, then I knew that they would be hopeless. And if they, if they sort of showed a bit of talent and just needed some help, Oops, we've got a crash. Something's happened on OBS, so does that mean I've got to close it all down? It says it's crashed. It looks like it's still going. Um, gosh, uh, well, I hope we're all right there. It says it's going, but it came up and said that it crashed. But now it seems to be going again. We've had all sorts of gremlins in the works this morning. Goodness me, what happened? I um, woke up, went into the studio, and um, nothing was working. <laughs> we, had all these, we had people online listening to static. <laughs> and I, thought, I don't know how long that had happened for. And then so I got that going. And then, of course, I started the program at, um, what, about half past four, I think we kicked off this morning, half past four, playing a bit of music. And um, then I think just after five, I kick, we kicked off the program. And I looked down about 25 minutes past and uh, there's nothing happening. There's no, no levels, nothing on OBS, which is a program I used to go out on uh, Rumble and uh, wherever else. And I do, I record everything on that. And then I looked across at the streaming software. We use But, B-U-T-T. And uh, that wasn't working either. And so I thought, oh gosh, what's going on here? And so we had to go on auto, what they call auto DJ with Xeno FM. So we went on that for a few minutes until I sort of got things sorted out. But uh, sort of, it's put me off my game this morning, that's for sure. Never mind. Okay, let's um, check out the weather, shall we, and uh, let you know what's happening now. Philip Duncan, I'm not sure whether he's got his new one for today, Tuesday. No, it doesn't look like he has, so nothing there yet from Philip. Uh, but if we go across to the um, MetService site, that's uh, metservice.com. And I'm just refreshing it now as I chat with you. It's seven minutes past six, and uh, the temperatures are pretty much the same. Kaitai is still the warmest place at the moment with 16.4 degrees. Alexandra is uh, the lowest, 5.4 recorded there. West Point, uh, West Point. <laughs> I don't know how I got West Point out of Castle Point. Sometimes I just make up words, you know. Um, Castle Point, this is what dyslexics do. We make up words. <laughs> and sometimes you're listening, did that really make sense? And then, because often, often people aren't really listening anyway, they're sort of passive listening. And so I could talk a whole lot of fiddlesticks and you wouldn't know, really, unless you're really listening. I mean, if you sit down and listen, or if you play it back, because that's the other thing about radio in the old days, you couldn't really play it back. But here you can just play it back and say, oh, he did say that. Oh, yes, what an idiot. Uh, so the windiest place is Castle Point, 52 kilometres of wind. And I guess that's about gusting about 
25 knots, somewhere it's about 30 miles per hour, which is about 25 knots, I think, for the nautical chaps out there. And um, But they put it in kilometres too to make it sound worse than it really is, with all caused by global warming, no doubt. Global cooling, what do they call it? Um, climate change, yes, that's right. Oh, while the news was on too, there was a big hair, uh, that one that I've been trying to get for the last few days, be very elusive. And there he was, he was only about 50 metres away, and I, I missed him. Would it be 50 or 60? The shotgun, but the shotgun has got a long barrel. It's got quite a, a narrow choke on it. I've got a choice of four chokes, I think three or four chokes. And I thought I'll get him for sure. And um, no, I missed the little blighter. You sort of, and they're funny here, isn't they? They'll actually run towards you. <laughs> so I took a shot and they ran towards me. But I, I thought as I went, I thought, should I put two cartridges? Should I put two in or not? And I put one in thinking oh, no, I'll easily get him. And uh, I just fired from the door and boom, missed Missed, couldn't believe it. Never mind. We won't be having hair over the weekend, that's for sure. Um, and But rabbit, I prefer rabbit. I think years ago I have had a hair before, and I don't know if they taste as nice as a rabbit. And they look like, when you look at them, the teeth, they look like a rat, don't they? They probably are sort of um, micro-evolved from some giant, giant rat. Or maybe the other way around. Anyway, let's look at the short forecast. Firstly, in the west from north into Taranaki. Also for Coromandel, Taramanui, or uh, Tolmadanui, as we say today, and Taihapi. Showers, uh, you've got isolated showers clearing this morning, and then you've got fine breaks increasing. So that's good, isn't it? Um, we'll be able to get some work done, won't we? All of us people that are working, especially those of you up there. Uh, for the Bay of Plenty, Taupo, Gisborne, and Hawke's Bay, you've got fine weather as well. Looks good for the North Island, doesn't it? But you have got some cloudy periods this morning and also at night in Taupo and the Bay of Plenty. Gale westerly, though, it's pretty strong winds, and that was what Philip Duncan was warning us about, that that's what's going to be happening. And, of course, in, what was it, on on the yesterday morning, we woke up to uh, hear the news about a tornado that had gone through Wellington and other parts and whipped its way up the country. And it's been quite windy where I am here as well. So Gale westerly, south of Hastings, easing this morning. Uh, for Wanganui to Wellington, also for Wairarapa, cloudy periods, but fine, fine weather for you. Nelson, Buller and Westland, fine in Nelson. Elsewhere, cloudy periods with isolated showers. Just light showers, though, north of the glaciers, clearing and becoming fine this afternoon. And Marlborough and Canterbury, you've got fine weather, apart from areas of morning and evening cloud about the coast. Otago, Southland and Fiordland, fine weather, apart from isolated showers about the south coast, clearing in the morning. And uh, for the Chathams, showers clearing this evening. There you are, that's good. Oh, we better... Oh, I can't be bothered doing any more. It's going to be good. <laughs> Let's see, I'll just cut the chase, go to Saturday. Uh, rain in the south... And you've got uh, showers developing in the west, mainly fine elsewhere. In the South Island on Saturday, you've got rain easing in the west and developing in the north. A few showers elsewhere, so it doesn't look quite as good on Saturday. Okay, uh, now let's um, all better play my play my TNT thing. I'll be back in a moment. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of ten. Americans. That's real. That's substantive. That's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement. It's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to TNTradio.live. It's coming up to 12 minutes past six here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. And um, oh, don't you know, TNT Radio, really good. TNTradio.live, but also. Make sure you have a listen to our own sort of, it's not talkback yet, but I'm hoping that it will turn into talkback, and that's RCR 
and you can I think they're a reality check dot radio you'll find them there and I think they've got their own app as well um, some really good interviews Paul Brennan's doing a wonderful job over there because he is a professional broadcaster Peter Williams is as well um, but um, Paul's really good there in the morning I think he goes from seven o'clock till um, seven eight nine ten I think it's just a three hours seven till ten. And um, he had a really good good one with um, that woman, Catherine Innes, somebody. Oh, gosh, I still haven't found out what her last name is. But uh, that was a good one. So go to Paul Brennan's page and look on some of his um, last interviews. So this one, I think, went for about an hour. And uh, she, the, you're, uh, listening to that, you're in no doubt that, that the Labour government was all organised, the whole thing, the whole lo- the lockdowns and everything. It was very, very well orchestrated to stop what they were calling misinformation, but really they were actually just giving us disinformation. And uh, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't true <laughs> what they were telling us. They weren't safe and effective. They knew that it wasn't. And now we've got the whistleblower that's come out that nobody's talking about. But everyone else all over the world are talking about. But here in New Zealand, the media is silent, which means that, you know, they're obviously in cahoots with the whole thing. And even the National Party and uh, um, the ACT Party, the Coalition of ACT, National and New Zealand First, they're all quiet as well. So it's obviously, you know, there should be something. Something should be said. We all know. We know that those jabs were killing us, and uh, some reports are suggesting as much as um, up to you know even twelve thousand or even more have actually died as a result of those jabs, according to the information that Barry Young, who was going under the name Winston Smith, and I think John Ansel was telling me that there I, I'm not sure, but Winston Smith I haven't googled it, but I think he was someone that was quite well known. It was a it was an apt name that they chose so you could look that up Winston Smith what that why he chose that name but it was only while he was you know he doesn't normally go under some other name it was only because he wanted to protect his identity while he was um, you know getting to the bottom of it it was absolutely important that he went to international media because here of course the, the New Zealand media did exactly what they um, they've been trained to do and that was what that interview with uh, Paul Brennan when he interviewed that lady Catherine Innes somebody <laughs> Um, it was uh, that was really that they knew they 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 that's how they respond to you. They just pretend it wasn't happening. They say that it's misinformation, disinformation, and um, so all those programs, those NGOs, those non-government organisations that the government has hired, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're paying these organisations, if not probably more. Um, and, and it's all designed to just um, sway the thinking of the masses because he who he who controls the media. It controls the thinking of the masses, and so that's they know that <laughs> everyone knows that, and so that's what the government was doing, They're controlling the, our thinking, and they've got control of all of them. If you think about it, there's not too many independents out there. But I hope to see. I'd like it to be this way that we had a new breed of media with some of the people that were reporting, you know, during the lockdowns and during the um, the big protests in Wellington back in February, March. 2020, those, some of those people that were doing the reporting, they're the new media and they're the ones that people should be listening to because their objective is to get the truth out there. And, you know, they're not pushing an agenda, uh, whereas the government um, really, well, the government is pushing an agenda, especially over the COVID fiasco. But the media, um, they, they had a narrative they had to follow and they were paid and it was a bribe, 55 million, plus all the hundreds of thousands in um, COVID advertising. And they're still pushing this blimmin' thing, aren't they? Still pushing this deadly vaccine that they know is killing you. And good on the, um, good on the Italians 
Um, we were reading over there for those that have just joined us. I'll just um, fill you in on that. And uh, so, oh gosh, I hope I can find it. Uh, let's see. Uh, where is it? That's the trouble. Don't know. Oh, here it is here. Yes, um, the Italian health minister, he's under investigation for murder. John Ansell would call it vax murder. Former Italian health minister Roberto Speranza, he's under investigation for homicide after emails revealed that from the very start of the vaccinations, he knew that the shots were killing people and gave orders to local health authorities to conceal deaths and serious side effects in order to reassure Italian citizens of their safety and not to jeopardise the vaccination campaign. Though there you are, you can find that at expose-news, expose-news.com. And that's worldwide, isn't it? And uh, we have exactly the same thing happening uh, here in New Zealand. And we know that because we've got a, a senior statistician, um, Barry Young, who's come out and uh, revealed that information. And what do they do? First thing they did, it was surrounded his house. I think it was about eight armed police <laughs> and arrested him and another whistleblower as well and we're not too sure who that other whistleblower is but we know that two people were arrested and it's shocking and he did his best to let everybody know in his department and he's senior this guy he's built he pretty much built the the database that organizes the shots and the payouts to the vaccinators and the chemists and the doctors and those that are giving it and giving the shot and i hear i heard that it was about 350 dollars a shot they were getting so you can see they were pretty keen so um and the, one of the one of the um places that re received this was in his data which is all um anonymous you know um off obfuscated so we don't know and of course they're trying to pretend it's you know personal information but it was never that that's just the mainstream media just um uh, listening to the lies of the government the government's telling them the government departments the health the uh, ministry of health uh, those uh, criminals on there, they all need to stand trial, really, don't they? Uh, but uh, they were trying to make out that, you know, he'd stolen information. And, and, you know, I suppose, in effect, he had, but it's our information. We should be knowing about this. It's not It's not their information. Who are they? They they're put there by us, and we need to know what's going on, if there's any problems. But anyway, there was the worst place, apparently, was in the Cargill, of all places. And in one station, 51 people, this is a vaccination centre, 51 people received this particular batch all 51 were dead within, well, definitely within a year. It was a very short time. And it was there was some elderly, yes, of course, but also young people as well. And then you've got all the young kids that are, that are getting uh, you know, dropping dead and, and uh, getting myocarditis and pericarditis. And that will affect, um, you know, your um, ability to be able to have children. So it looks to me, it seems to me, and there are some doctors as well. Uh, another Another lady, I think this was on RCR that I was listening to, uh, a doctor who was um, slandered by everybody, uh, she said that it really, to me, it looked as though they were intentionally, not the, not our little government, would they just follow along, but whoever designed this um, uh, jab that they were giving us, this medical intervention, as Richard Vobes likes to call it, uh, and then that we're here in New Zealand, we call it a vaccine, but it's certainly not a vaccine, it's a flippin', it is the bioweapon, if you ask me, and she said it was intentional and it looked as though it wanted to do as much harm as possible. And that's how you do it without, so you're not really, you're not found out. If you, everybody died straight away, well, they'd know that you were trying to kill them. But some people got really bad batches and they died straight away, young people too. Some of us had very bad side effects. 
and others aren't out of the woods. And just because you've had your one or two jabs and your, or your booster or whatever, don't think you're out of the woods. Because just as childhood vaccines cause chronic diseases over a long period of time and neurological disorders and allergies, all that sort of thing, all the stuff that we never had before back in the 60s when we just had a few jabs. Now we've got, oh gosh, I think it's about 40 or 50 jabs these kids have to get to stay up to date with their vaccinations. And that's what's killing and maiming New Zealanders, those childhood vaccines. All vaccines are bad for you. Why would you? Why would we ever think? Why, why would we fall for this garbage from the pharmaceutical industry, which, uh, you know, pharmakia, that's where we get the word pharmakia, the Greek word, which translates in the King James Bible as sorcery. Why would we ever listen to that rubbish uh, that we needed to be have, to be, have some in, injections put into us, some toxic rubbish uh, doctors, they don't really know what they're doing and they look at the microscope and they think they're looking at a virus, which uh, I think is just, um, they use the whole idea of a virus, as just an invented thing uh, to cover up their malpractice from their vaccines and their um, and their armor, other other drugs and uh, so whip over to Dr. Sam Bailey, that's DR Sam DR Sam Bailey B-A-I-L-E-Y dot com have a look at, over there, she's a co-author of that book Virus Mania Best book I've ever read. Uh, I'd say if you got to uh, chapter three, you'd be convinced that viruses, there's no actual evidential foundation for viruses actually even being in existence. And uh, so, you know, they look at these um, scientists, so-called, they look at what they think is a virus. Really, it's just microbes from the body, just the terrain theory, the, the terrain in the body not being happy. And that's why it's so important to eat plenty of protein, to have good quality rocket fuel for the human body, which is meat, red meat and plenty of it. And then make sure that it's not all jabbed up with antibiotics and all the other stuff. Try and get some natural meat that no one's put uh, vaccines into. And you don't want to be drinking milk, too, that's got uh, vaccinated cows. That's coming, too. They're going to be doing mRNA in the for, uh, the cow herds. They'll make it law. And so your milk will be full of it. And so <laughs> that's another, is that another way to get you? I don't know. So that's And the best milk of all is ewe's milk. We know that because the Bible says the milk of the ewe and the milk of the kine, K-I-N-E. That's just an, an old English term for cow. And that's for butter. So milk of the ewe for drinking and milk of kine for butter. And so uh, we know that uh, sheep's milk, ewe's milk, is actually um, naturally homogenized. And so we've got milking ewes here. And there's another lady which I met this week actually at the the grain store. And uh, she's got each Frisians as well. Uh, I'm not a lady, but a lady that I met, not another lady. And um, she, uh, so I've uh, become friendly with Mandy. And um, so um, she actually, she got very friendly sheep. She does sheep trekking as well. She takes some um, um, people on cruise ships and stuff like that. I think she goes goes up north there and uh, and um, she's got her operation up there. So uh, she, people can take the sheep for a walk. That's quite good. So they're pretty friendly. Mine aren't that friendly. But uh, they used to be quite friendly when I was uh, milking them all the time. But I'm aiming to uh, build a, um, a sheep milking uh, uh, plant here, just a small one, just for our own use, of course. We can't sell it. Uh, and that'll be, we'll be making feta and um, um, what we call quark, which is lovely. And what else we have? Oh, and the milk as well. And you can freeze it because it's naturally homogenized. Uh, you can freeze it for you know almost a year before it separates. Whereas cow's milk, you can't freeze it. So that means I don't have to milk all the time. I can just milk once a day. Take the lambs off uh, at the night before. Milk in the morning. Then uh, then enjoy watching the lambs find their mothers again. That's a really great. I used to love what doing watching that. 
and uh, then so they get on the mothers all day and so they stay there and they actually um, keep the um, the milk really flowing those lambs and we found that by just doing a once a day milking and just taking what we needed from the ewes uh, we didn't end up having any sheep with mastitis or any sort of a high cell count and I was fastidious just making sure, testing the milk all the time. Uh, because we want to be able to drink it raw. You don't really want to be um, pasteurizing it. Uh, although anyone that bought um, my milk off me, because sometimes I'd have some gate sales and, you know, let people that they wanted to buy some. It was cheap back in those days. It was only $6 for a litre. Gosh, now I think it's about $12 a litre. It's a crazy, crazy price. But anyway, um, yeah, I used to pasteurize that. You know, I think we get up to about 65 degrees and uh, for you know a certain period of time and that but then that kills all the good stuff as well that's the only trouble but if you're nice and clean and you know you have a, a run a good um, operation um, there's nothing wrong with um, raw milk and but raws raw sheep milk is the way to go and overseas internationally they think that they drink more ewes milk and goat's milk than cow's milk but here in New Zealand we're stuck on cow's milk which I don't think is particularly good for us and especially if they start bringing in the mRNA vaccines into the herd, uh, that will be a really bad thing because that will come out of the milk. You know, even if they say, oh, there's a stand down period, I wouldn't believe them. I, I really wouldn't believe them at all. I wouldn't, I don't want to, now I'm so, after COVID, COVID's woken me up, hasn't it? It's woken us all up. We now realise that we can't trust any of them, any any of these people that are pushing uh, drugs on us. Uh, for example, uh, if you, if you, uh, we've got uh, a few ticks at the moment and um, and we probably had them, and I wasn't aware of it. And so ticks aren't the best. We don't have a problem with Lyme disease here in New Zealand, but other countries do. And they say that it's caused by the ticks, but then you don't know if that's true either, do you? Uh, and anyway, so um, uh, I'm going to be using a homeopathic re- remedy called Bellum Palustra. So the only problem with giving um, animals that, especially if they're in a herd and you can't get you know too close to them. Because, I mean, mine are quite good. They follow me around, but... Still, I can't get that close that I can actually administer a homeopathic remedy to them. One of them I can, and I'll be doing that. I can just pat him. He's fine. So what I'm doing, I'm right in the middle of building a cover over top of one of the troughs, and that's going to be my medication trough. And uh, so that will stop the sun from getting on the water where I put the remedies into, And uh, because the sun will antidote your remedies. That's really important too, so that you make sure that when you buy your remedies from the health store or from the, um, the chemist, Try and try and buy off the health store, not the chemist. You know, chemist, alchemy, pharmacist, pharmacist, care, sorcery. Uh, why, why why should they have anything to do with uh, natural remedies? You know, they're, they're drug sellers. They're pushers of um, legalized drugs. So um, I avoid them, but make sure that they haven't got it sitting. The remedy sitting there in the sunlight. That's the worst thing, and they think that they're good. They don't work. They won't work at all. They'll be antidoted by the sunlight. That's how we clean our little bottles. We put them in direct sunlight for you know a number of hours. I normally leave them for a day or two, and uh, the sun and cleans the bottle because you can wash wash the bottles out, and you might have had belladonna or baronia in it or something like that, and then you go to give um, you dish up dish up some aconite, but it's already got the other remedy in there as well. So you're giving them a sort of a complex, aren't you, but not realizing it. So you can wash them out. Gosh, you can wash them out with whatever you like. Um, I just give them a, a just a rinse in water, good shake around, and then just um, put them in, in direct sunlight, and that is the key. That is the, um, that's how you uh, clean your bottles um, and make them ready for the next remedy. Your little medicine bottles, and because uh, I, I like to use liquid, I don't really like the pillules. 
I don't know why. Anyway, got water boiling, so I'll be back in a moment and then we'll give you some more news. How about a nice country song in the meantime? Yeah, Grant, that's a good idea. Okay, well, let me find one for you. Hmm, Honky Tonk Band Donk? Not really. No, not really into that. Uh, she's a bit depressing, old Laura McKenna, I find. The Perry Band, they're not too bad. Live Forever. Should we have a listen to that? We'll do that. Um, I'll 